right, you guys sound great. It's great to uh, be together here. It's good to be back. We had an amazing time. I know some of us were at uh, Drake's wedding last uh, weekend. What an amazing miracle to see what for some of you was a little kid grow up and finally and get married. So it's uh, uh, amazing to see God work. Uh, we're just happy to be back. We're c- continuing our series called Holy. Uh, based on the books, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and, you know, really a tool to help us get deeper with God. And hopefully you're, you're getting deeper with Him, and God is going to do some amazing miracles. He's already done uh, miracles among us. You can hear me, right? Okay. And uh, I just heard that, um, that Rick, uh, Mark's son, was baptized after 25 years of praying for him. And so, uh, as I was walking into church today, it was just that, hey, miracles still happen. And uh, they can tell you more of the story if you want to talk to them privately. It was really unexpected about a year ago that this would be happening. Uh, So, that was just another testimony to the amazing miracles that God does in all of our lives to make us whole with him. So, pray for uh, their son. What, What was his name? George, pray for George to uh, continue in the faith and make it all the way to heaven with all of us as well. And so uh, I did get another wedding picture from Mikhail. He got married last Saturday. This was the happy couple. I know Ted was there uh, witnessing it, and uh, they're going to be back here uh, in about a week. And then in Mid-October the 16th, we're going to have another party for them here at our house and kind of welcome her and then the couple back to the desert. So uh, we, we love love, right? Okay, so today the title is called Back to the Future. And I put a little picture in the bottom for some of you people that remember the all the famous movies there. If you haven't, don't worry about it. It's the same idea that to be able to go back in time in a way that would change your entire future. And so I won't uh, bore you with the movie uh, thing, but that's really what we're trying to do spiritually is learn all the lessons that God has given us and taught us and even using some negative things to turn them into blessings for Christ. And that's kind of what even Ray was talking about in the welcome, that, hey, we try to do our own thing and it doesn't go that well, and then God turns it around to make it great. And uh, last week we were at a, uh, a Western elders retreat and, you know, with some uh, potential future elders as well. And it was just encouraging. Uh, we got to hear from our own Scott Kirkpatrick uh, from Riverside and then from Michael and Makisha Burns on the topic of diversity and just all the lessons that we've learned in the church in the last 18 months. And it was just amazing I, I even learned something recently that in the uh, the rabbis used to teach that they would go into the future walking backwards so they were learning all the lessons from history as they went forward for God. Now, we don't want to totally do that. We want to learn the lessons and also go forward with Christ. But it, it's, it was just a powerful time to think that, man, we're we're learning some amazing lessons. You know, that they spoke from the heart. They spoke very powerfully. And just the fact that we're a a church that talks about issues and we want to learn, we want to grow, 
And it just was an amazing time um, to be together and just just gave me a lot of faith and a lot of confidence that, man, there's, you know, Danielle and I were kind of the youngest people in the room, you know, so it's kind of a little different feel. But just to feel like, wow, these people have these are the warriors for Christ. I mean, these guys have been through it. They're faithful. They love God. It just gave me a lot of confidence in, in what God is doing and even vision you know, for all of us as we go forward. And I appreciate Aaron here last week preaching the word. We got to see that online. And just amazing that knowing ourselves, knowing our emotions can help us to know God in a better and deeper way. And I love that. Even as he went through, how many of you would say emotions are not your favorite thing? I mean, you can be honest. Okay. I don't know, maybe half, half of us. Kamiko's here with us today. Oh, my goodness. Wow. She's making me cry again. Oh, that's so encouraging. But, yeah, you know, it, it was encouraging to look back and just see that God is emotional. Emotion is not a bad word. That he, he looked at the world and he was filled with joy and he said, it is very good. He loved it. He was deeply troubled when things went wrong. He was even jealous when his people turned towards other gods. That he cried out and even at times had fierce anger. And as we think about that, those are some of the emotions that can be scary for us. To be troubled. And to be vulnerable, to express. You know, we're in a world where Christianity can sometimes be summed up in be joyful always. God wasn't, that wasn't the only emotion that God had. And yet sometimes we can just always be happy and sometimes we're dying on the inside and we're like, oh, things are great. God's awesome. This is incredible. And we go home and we cry ourselves to sleep because Life's not good, and we actually need prayers, and we need help. And so it's just encouraging, you know, this time. You know, when I even saw that, when God was fiercely angry at times. And that scares me to death. Right? I, I was, in my old life, my anger was a huge problem. And so when, the, when I feel that start coming up, I go, oh, no, this isn't good. And most of the time it isn't. But it's amazing that God can use our emotions, you know, for good. As we're studying this out, there's kind of the, it's going around all of our churches in, in the U.S. at least here, that the, this book that we're reading, but the idea of rest and Sabbath and solitude and, you know, from Temecula, Orange County, Riverside, us, all the L.A. leadership, they're going on a retreat and they're just going to have four they're going to have some lessons, but four hours of the day is just open to, to rest, to be with God, to reflect. And any of you who have been to any of our conferences before, that's not usually how we roll, right? We just like put lesson after lesson and it's like, oh my gosh, that was not a retreat. That was a conference because we, we, we feel like sometimes we have to talk and discuss and plan and do all those things, and sometimes God wants us just to rest and to reflect on him. How many of you have practiced some of the uh, reflections and meditations and, 
you know, and it's been encouraging us to have like two minutes of silence. How many people have, have tried it at least? Okay, if you haven't, that's okay. You, you get a chance. It can be some of the most uncomfortable things. I did like an 18-minute meditation yesterday. I'm talking to all of you that rose your hands that you don't like emotions. Okay, I'm talking to you. Um, I did an 18-minute kind of guided meditation, and it was, you know, really good and talking about through Exodus 14 and, you know, God is with you and all these different things. And I, I immediately when I finished, I thought to myself, I just wasted 18 minutes. Like, what happened? Nothing was accomplished. Like, I felt like, all right, I still got a lot to do. And it just showed me how I'm not wired, how I'm wired and how God is maybe trying to help me to understand him and get deeper. That that was probably the best 18 minutes of my day and not the worst. And yet God is helping us to get deeper with him and take breaks even during the day to spend like five or ten minutes with God where maybe we usually wouldn't, to be able to calm down and be able to refocus. And, you know, I just share that because it's not easy for some of us, this whole idea of rest and and getting deeper with God. And and I'm, I'm right there with you. If you're having a hard time with that, I'm right there. But I feel like God is really doing some amazing miracles, and I'll share about that in a little bit. But my first point today, we're going to be talking about Jacob, is born beautiful. Born beautiful. Everybody knows, and you've had babies born into your family, and it is the most amazing blessing. Right? When you put in all that work, ladies, and you finally have that child, it is the most amazing thing in the world, right? And we had a baby born in the church this week, little Abigail Rose Evelyn Davis. So she has two middle names, beautiful, and uh, everything went really well. Mom and baby are great. Uh, But she just texted out that she and they are just beyond grateful and blessed. And I'm just thinking, wow, isn't that how babies, the joy they bring to all of us? They're valuable, and they haven't even done anything yet. (laughs) Right? They're just there. It's just a gift. And our whole lives, we kind of spend getting back to that same place where we're valuable before we've even done anything. And I think God is trying to remind us that you can ask any parent or grandparent that lesson. So turn over to Genesis chapter 25, and we'll read a little bit about Jacob You have to kind of go back and read the whole story. It's about 12 or 13 chapters. So we're just going to kind of have little snippets here. And we're going to talk about uh, his birth here and talking about being born beautiful. It said, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. (laughs) The kind of baby only a mama could love, maybe. So they named him Esau. I never heard a baby described that way. After this, the brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. Reminds me of J.J. Overstreet right there. While Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. 
Isaac, who had a taste for a wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. That even before her children were born, God said, you have two nations in your womb. And they both came out different, and they both came out beautiful. Today we're going to be talking about Jacob, but the same value that was in Jacob was in Esau. That they both shared that gift that they were created in the image of God. Even though they had different paths to walk, they were both born beautiful. They were even born connected. They were holding on to one another. And yet you see from the very beginning that Jacob was more connected to his mom and the tents, and Esau was more connected to dad and the outdoors. And you could imagine, if you think about it for a minute, the family discussions that they had around their likes and dislikes and differences. And maybe dad got on Jacob for not being out in the country, for staying around the tents, and maybe vice versa. Maybe Rebecca got on Esau because he was like a bull in a china shop and he had no clue about emotions and he just like bowled people over. I don't know. But you can see even they were born beautiful, but there were some seeds of some things to come that they were going to carry with us. You know, in the book, one of the books that we're reading about this man, this Christian named Anthony in 250 A.D., he was a wealthy Egyptian and he went out and gave up all of his wealth and went in solitude in the desert for 20 years. And now that we've lived in the desert for seven years now, it gave me kind of a perspective on that. Like, to be homeless in the desert for 20 years. I mean, that, that's quite a journey. That's, some, that's a lot to give up, to be wealthy, to then to go out and just figure out how to live and, and be by yourself for that many years. And as I was thinking about that, I just remember thinking like, wow, what a... Kind of my same speech from my meditation is like, wow, what a waste. <laughs> like, wow, what, would you do that? Like, I was like, that would be the worst thing. I would never want to do that. Just go and wander around. And, and yet I started to think, wow, he, how well do you get to develop your prayer life? And you get to know God and you get to know yourself. And this guy was probably like so in touch I still didn't want to do it, but I'm just trying to appreciate, like, why would somebody do this? You know, I kind of grown up in, in a, a faith tradition where, you know, people that go live off in the, in the mountains and just are by themselves, like, that's not good. Like, I just feel like, that, that's not good. The world needs help, and you're going off and living in the, in the boondocks somewhere and just being with God. I mean, like, that's great, but, again, you got to do something with your faith, right? So that's can be hardwired in us and yet appreciating this guy. And he came back 20 years later and started a ministry to the rich, a ministry to the poor, a ministry to the prisons, a healing ministry, and he even counseled counseled the Roman emperor of the day. I guess it wasn't a waste. I guess that 20 years was pretty useful. I I was just thinking, imagine him going into the prisons of the day or going ministering to the poor 
And them saying, you don't know what it's like to be me. And he could say, well, yeah, I kind of do know what it's like to be you. I was homeless for 20 years. I'm I'm with you. And there's there's a, a huge value. And even some of our heroes in the faith, we don't think about it too much. But Moses, as a shepherd for 40 years before he really did accomplish his calling, he was 80, you know, 60 or 70 years old when he finally got to it. Joshua wandering around in the desert for 40 years before he got to accomplish something. And sometimes we're so quick to accomplish that we forget there's value in waiting. Even as a church. In some ways, God's working on us. It's not easy. We don't want to go deep all the time, but God is working on us to accomplish Inward things that you might look at and go, but I'm not doing anything. Maybe you're not, but God is. And let's not fight that as we try to get back to the beauty that he created us with. That could, be, that could describe what fellowship is supposed to be about. To help remind each other that you're beautiful in God's sight. That you're valuable. That you're holy and blameless. That you're good enough because of Christ. That you don't need to do anything to be worth more to God. That you don't have a great day and God go, oh man, now I really love you. Oh, that was incredible. Let me take you out to dinner. He's like, no, I, I love you every day like that. He probably loves us more on our worst days because that's when we need it more. And yet we've grown up with Voices in our heads saying that we're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We're not good looking enough. We haven't done enough. We don't make enough money. We're not this. We're not that. And God the whole time is saying, you are valuable. You're worth it. You're enough. Do you believe that? You know, this week I had an interesting experience with this little ring. And I don't know if any of you have ever been to the car wash on a Saturday. Anybody ever been to the car wash on Saturday? It's packed. There's cars everywhere. There's just, it's just chaos. Every, every stall is full. And so I'm cleaning up the car and I'm vacuuming. And, you know, every once in a while you pick up like a dime or a penny or whatever. I don't know how pennies, I don't even use money anymore, but... I don't know how pennies are still there, but you suck them up, and I don't even want to deal with them. I just suck them up anyway. I don't worry about it. And so I'm doing the back seat, and I sucked up a penny in the front seat, and I go to the back seat, and I sucked up something. And as it was going up, I start thinking, like, that didn't look like a penny. And I was like, it looked like a ring. And so I start thinking about it. I finally figured out, okay, I'm like 90% sure that was a ring. And then I look around and it's just all kinds of people. I figure out that, you know, they each have their own little canister. So if you ever lose something, they could find it. So I went and I had to talk to three of the workers there to get them to stop everything. Right? Saturday afternoon, 12 noon. And I'm so uncomfortable, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, i got to stop everything. But, I, you know, so I, told, I, I had to kind of wrestle with the guys a little bit because I'm like, 
Because I know we went to the wedding. My daughter sat in that seat. And when she goes to the wedding, I'm thinking she's probably wearing her best ring. And so that's probably valuable, whatever it was. And so we finally stop it. As he's stopping it, I'm going to each person that's vacuuming their car. I'm really sorry. My daughter lost a ring. You know, I've got about 20 different people going around the whole place. Just, And everybody was feeling like, you know, as I was telling them, like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, if you lost a ring, you got to find it. And, you know, so there it was. It took about three, four minutes. It came back. Here it is. Turns out, I don't think it's that valuable. <laughs> it was uh, left there by a, a teenager. And I'm like, I don't know, but it doesn't look real. Whatever. But it was just like the point of something of valuable is lost and I have to stop everything. To find it, even if it's uncomfortable, even if people think I'm crazy, even if they're whatever upset. I feel like God is sending us that message. If you can't, haven't found your value in God, then you need to stop everything and find it. You need to recognize that, even if people think you're crazy, if if it's disruptive, whatever, that's the main thing that God wants us to get. That he gave us his very best because you were worth it. Because that was your value. His son, Jesus, was your worth. And we've heard different things our whole life. It's time to stop listening to those things and listen to the the creator. Amen. Amen. All right, point number two. God uses broken builders. If you look at Jacob's life, this would not be the guy that you would really pick to do whatever, to run your school, to run your company, to be your minister. He lies all the time, just story after story about lies and deceit. He's greedy. He's trying to get money. He doesn't care if he even takes it from his own family. I mean... He's got multiple wives. They're all living together. I mean, this is just a mess on so many fronts. And yet, he still manages to have faith in God. And he says, you know, so what do you do with that? Like, amen, we don't do all that in the New Testament. But that was, God makes the point, I can use broken people. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be what you would consider to be the church person, the the character person. You can just look at Jacob and go, you know what? If he can use Jacob, he can use us. I mean, this guy has a lot of issues, and yet God shows his grace. And I don't know if you've thought about your family of upbringing and kind of what they instilled in you. You know, like what you took out of them. Obviously, God wants to transform that, but it's good to take stock of what you've been given. I looked at, I just thought about my family for a few minutes, and I thought about independence was the first word that came to my mind. Somebody mentioned to me last week that dependence is a part of independence. So we need each other, but we don't feel like we need each other. That's my family. You know, probably the second thing is pride. They don't want to ask for help. 
I love you, Mom and Dad, if you're watching. I'm with you, too. You, I, I share the same traits, right? Kind of that attitude that we're better than others. We avoid conflict. We avoid emotions. We value achievement. And we work really hard. And we're tough and we're aggressive. And we can have distance in our family. We're not always close with everyone in our family. And I just started thinking, like, wow, none of that looks like a Christian. (laughs) Just looking at my life, thinking, man, none of that looks like Jesus. And yet he can use me. You know, when you look back on your life, it might be depressing. I've had some people just say, hey, I don't don't really want to do that. I've been trying to not think about that for so long. Now I need to. And yet... Without grace, it can be depressing. Without understanding God's power, that he can use anything, he can use even the difficult things to accomplish his will. If you're a broken builder, you're in the right place. We're trying to build this church for God, and we got some brokenness here. And yet he does amazing miracles because it's not because of us. I grew up watching this with my kids all the time. I just threw him in there. Bob the Builder. <laughs> the famous line, can we fix it? Yes, we, yes, we can. can. See, you watched it too, okay? So that's God with us. Can, I, can we fix it? And God's like, yes, we can. You can do it. Here we go. Genesis 27. Your brother, this is Esau talking to his father after Jacob takes his blessing. He said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing, Esau said. Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taking my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and made all his his relatives his servants. And I have sustained him with grain and new wine, so what can I possibly do for you, my son? That's not a very good outlook. What can I possibly do for you, my son? This was a crisis that really defined their relationship for most of their lives. These two instances and this tension, you know, affected. Jacob took this with him for many, many, many years, and so did Esau. And then they finally overcome it later, which we're going to look at. But let's continue reading in verse 38. Esau said to his father, do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's riches, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke off from your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. That their relationship was defined by deceit and grudges and attitudes and hatred. I mean, even to the point of wanting to kill his own brother Have you ever thought of what it would be like to be Jacob? To go into your father's tent when he's not all there mentally, and he can't, he's blind, 
and to go through this whole rehearsed speech to steal your brother's blessing, his inheritance. I mean, I'm, incom- I'm uncomfortable just even thinking about it. If you can imagine going through that whole thing to lie to the, your, your family and betray your family and that he went through with it. That's how broken he was. He went through with it. It wasn't his mom's fault. His mom might have given him the idea, but he was a big boy at this time. He took mom's advice and he, he went for it. And yet God knew that he would struggle and have to overcome someday. That we can struggle in our lives with who are we? How did God make me? What are my talents? What am I good at? What? How much of our lives do we spend trying to please everyone around us? Trying to get everyone to give us a pat on the back and tell us how great we are and all the expectations. Sometimes we even have just expectations for ourselves of what our lives are supposed to be and they end up disappointing us. God's like, just be you. Don't try to be someone else. There's nothing wrong with you. I'm sure Jacob, Esau lived the rest of his life thinking, what's wrong with me? Why did I give up my blessing for, why did I give up my inheritance for a, one meal? You know, how did I get in this situation where my dumb brother got my blessing for me too? And this defined the rest of their lives, both of them. Jacob's life was defined, was deception and running and getting caught and then running. Deception, getting caught, and then running. And then he sent him to his uncle Laban, and yet God had a bit of a sense of humor because Laban did it back to him. He deceived him. He tricked him. And then it, it kind of went both ways. He got to experience what it felt like. And then to live a life of fear. You know, to be broken and trust again is what God has called all of us to be. I was talking to a woman the other day, and she was talking about her life, and her kids were saying, you know, that they got hurt at church, and now they don't want to go back. And, and she told me once, she said something that stuck with me. She said, just because you were hurt at church, don't let that affect your relationship with God. Just because a person, a human being hurts you, doesn't mean that that's God. And this was from someone, and she was just saying how much she wanted to go back to church. She hadn't been in a long time. And I was just thinking, you know, you, you're on to something there. Because at times we can look around at our church and go, man, we've been hurt. Because we've been around each other, and we've grown up together, and we've seen each other. And don't take that out on God, because a few people have hurt your feelings or mine. It's so easy to have that attitude that we're all broken. We all can have grudges towards one another. Issues, memories. Let's throw those off. Let's not live that way. You know, when you look around at the world, this is the one thing that I will share that 
has helped me, even though I'm still getting used to some of the meditation. But to look around and see that our world's broken. You know, and I find myself now as I'm talking to people, I don't just hear what they're saying. Like I'm thinking like, wow, where did this come from? And how did they get in this situation? And what was their life like that got them into this spot? When most of us became Christians, the church looked perfect, didn't it? It wasn't perfect. We're, 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 now we realize it really wasn't perfect because it was just like us, like we are. We're not perfect. But we were so broken that just to see families together and see people that were joyful and see people that had a purpose... It helps us to see that's where I need to be. I didn't care about all the issues that were going on because I was so broken, I needed Jesus. And this church helped me to see that. And sometimes we can look around at all of our issues and we can forget people not here, they don't care about all that. Their lives are broken. Their relationships are broken. Their families are crushed. They're separate from their parents. They're separate from their siblings. They haven't talked to each other in years. They don't know what would happen if they died. They're struggling with addiction and pornography and all these things. They don't care about little issues that the church is going through. And this week, this is, I've been reminded of this. That at times, it's easy to look at our issues and forget the real issues. Not that our issues aren't real. We need to keep growing as a church. But I pray that we can see the hope that you are to the broken world. Amen. Not because of how great we are, but because of Jesus. This month, we have some opportunities to bring people out to church, whether it's the Harvest Festival or the Latin American Heritage Service next Sunday, to help people have hope. And I pray that we can see beyond ourselves and have a heart for a broken world and feel what God feels and be inspired and motivated, not just to bring someone to church, but to help people have hope that, hey, God uses broken people just like us. This doesn't look like much. This is my prayer spot that I've had for the last seven years, this open field where they've had probably like 60 homes that have never been finished, so it's been perfect. I can go in there and just walk around, bring my dog in there. And so today when I went out to pray, I got to the fence and it was locked. And so I kind of looked around because sometimes there's holes in fences, there's little gaps, you know. My wife doesn't like when I do that, but, you know, sometimes I'll just kind of sneak through and, you know, pray. I don't think it's going to be a terrible offense. So pray for me there. But it just made me think that sometimes God just closes doors for us. Some of us, this past, these past months or whatever, God's just closed doors and he is working on us. Maybe he's not letting us do the things that we want to do, but
but he's trying to do the things that he wants to do. Some of us, we've been trying to avoid certain emotions, certain relationships, certain events for years and years and years. And maybe God's just saying, no, you can't do that anymore. It's time. This is the time to get the help that we need to be able to mature, to be able to be who God wants us to be. Sometimes when we pray, we want God to say yes, and it's great when he does. But other times we pray and God says no. And we've got to accept that too, that God is behind one just as much as he is behind the other. I pray that we can accept and find God even when we feel like broken builders. And finally, bedrock blessings. And this is the good part of the story where Jacob, at the end of his life, becomes transformed into Israel, which means he who struggles and overcomes. And it hit me that as we're in a church with people that aren't young as much, we're, we're not old, we're not young, you know, we're, we're maturing. And a lot of us are struggling with the same things. The same character. I believe God is getting us to this place where we need to overcome with him. It's, this is an archaeological site, and they use the analogy of cities where you build a city, and then you keep building on top of the city. So in order to get to the earliest city, you've got to dig down to the, to the very core. And I believe that God was doing that with Jacob. He was digging down to get through all the deception and all the lies and all the fakeness to get to his real heart for him. And in Genesis 32, he says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And, wrestled, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Please tell me your name, he replied. What do you, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him, and he passed Peniel, as he passed Peniel. And he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites did not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because of his hip that was touched near the tendon. That Jacob had to go out and wrestle with the core of his being. And it's not an accident that he was all by himself. That we support one another, but sometimes God gets us alone so that we can face up to who we really are and who we want to be. 
And this was the night before he was meeting Esau after many, many, many years at the end of his life. The same person that he stole the birthright and he stole the blessing and he's going to meet him and he's thinking, this guy's going to kill me. It took all of that to get him to face his character. And yet he faced it and overcame as an inspiration to all of us. That just because we come from a certain family with God, we can overcome. We can be that new creation that God wants us to be. And yeah, we still have issues. But we can be victorious. It's not easy. Wrestling all night is not easy. It wasn't just a one. I wish it was just a one night wrestle. That'd be easy, right? Your whole life can be different. All you got to do is pray for one night and wrestle with God. Man, that sounds easy. No, this was a lifetime. This was just the, the end, uh, the final moments of the change. And his history was changed forever. That God has the ability to change all of our histories. And he has done that to so many of us. You know, if you think about When we get adopted into God's family, we're adopted out of our own family spiritually into his family that we get all of our, as in the Roman days when they had made adoptions, all their debts was canceled. You could have all the debt in the world. When you got adopted, it was, your balance was zero. And that's how it is when we come to Christ. When you're adopted, you get a new name. That's how it is when we come to Christ. We get the new name that created a person that God made us to be. Adopted children have the same inheritance. And as Christians, we gain the inheritance in Christ. And they have a new family. That here we have a new family in Christ. We have people that have our back that love Jesus, that love us as they love him. If you're a Christian, I want to encourage you just to sit and think of all the blessings that you already have. You know, here God blesses Jacob in amazing ways. But think about all the blessings that you already have as Christians. Sometimes we don't stop to think, oh, I did this little exercise. I don't know what gave me the idea to do this. I just took a picture of my office. And I started going through the room and just looking and thinking about all the blessings that I could just see with my eyes. You know, that I was, I had a, I have AC. It's a blessing. I have a fan. That's another blessing. There was a picture of my daughter. Oh, I have kids. That's amazing blessing. I'm sitting in my home. I'm wearing clothes. There's shoes on the floor. I have hobbies. Oh, we have a TV too. There's some sports stuff in there. We get to be active and we can move and play sports. There is my degree from college. We get to have education and go to school. I look through the door, there's a bathroom. We have plumbing, (laughs) electricity. 
There's pictures of our friends. We have friends. We get to go on vacations. There's my dog. I have pets. We get to look out and see nature. There were some vitamins or whatever. We have health care. All the blessings, they were right there the whole time. As a Christian, you have so many blessings. God doesn't need to do anything else. He's given us so much. If we would just, wherever you're at in your house, just take a snapshot and just go through all the blessings that we have. You know, Ray read that scripture in the very beginning. You know, every blessing that we have in Christ, it could just go on forever because of his love for us. As we take our communion today, I came across this blessing in in Hebrews chapter 6, where God says, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. This was the blessing that he would give to Jacob. And here in Hebrews, he's passing that same blessing on to you. That I will bless you. I will give you many descendants. I will help your life to have a huge impact for me. Since we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That you were all born beautiful. And you still are because of Christ. That we were all broken builders that have been completely healed because of Christ. That he has given us bedrock blessings that go as an anchor for the soul. And he promises to always bless you and always give you many descendants. Let's pray as we take our communion together. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the way that you look out for us. We thank you for the love that you show towards us, God. We thank you that you can use us even in our broken state. But before you, we can be whole. We can be complete. We can be secure. God, we love you. I pray that your words would have fallen on our hearts today in a way that we could see all the blessings that you've given us. God, help us to remember Jesus most of all, the blessing of his love and his body and his blood that he shed for us. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.